Thank you, Amy. Well, good morning to you. Good to be with you today and study God's Word. I'm excited about our time in the Word, and I hope you are too. If you have little ones through grade four and you'd like them to be in uh, children's church today, you can dismiss them out to the foyer at this time. If you'd like to keep them with you, you're welcome to do that. We'll be reading today out of the New American Standard. If you uh, like that version, you can find it around you in the uh, chairs around you. If you uh, like the one that you read and study every day and memorize and keep that one, I'll give you some verse cues so that we can stay together. <clears throat> if you're a guest here today, we're in a continued study with, uh, through the books of First and Second Corinthians, and uh, in particular, we're in Second Corinthians chapter 4. And so for time's sake today, and because I think it's appropriate that we just give our hearts to the reading and the understanding of the Word of God, I'd like you to turn there. We're going to pick up in verse 1, we'll read all the way through verse 12. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we received mercy, we do not lose heart, verse 2. But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the Word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Verse 3, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Verse 4, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Verse 5, for we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. Verse 6, for God who said, Light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. Verse 8. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing. Verse 9. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down but not destroyed, verse 10, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. Verse 11, for we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life, you. Let's stop right there. Now last week we left off at verse 7. Look there with me, but we have this treasure uh, in earthen vessels, and we saw as our next waypoint that as we worked our way through this passage, we've begun to set up, if you will, waypoints and keys to lasting ministry in a fulfilled life, and one of the things I think that is so uh, wonderful about this passage is that just, we just get to see from Paul's heart how he managed the difficult times that he went through. Now, if you look at any kind of survey of Paul's life and any, uh, any of the epistles would bring out some of the difficulty he had to face. Certainly, uh, in the Gospel of Acts, if you read through there, you'll find uh, some difficult times for him, uh, struggles for him, cast out of cities, stoned to death, let out in a basket, all kinds of things, always running for his life, always in fear for his life, always... Uh, enduring difficult things, and so it comes then with quite a bit of weight as we think about our own lives and the difficulties the Lord has placed there for specific reasons, uh, difficult people, difficult circumstances, so it comes with significant weight, I think, as we look at Paul 
and he says that um, we have this ministry as we receive mercy, we don't lose heart. If Paul can say that in the midst of difficult times and hardship and, and all kinds of struggles, then I, I think immediately as I read that passage, I'm like, how can you do that? So what, what's, the, what's the key to being successful there? What, what are the waypoints to being on course? Because in the seasons of life, there's all kinds of things that come up, and they're perhaps unexpected to us, and, and not minimizing them at all, and even in comparison to the Apostle Paul, some people have been through very hard, very hard times. And so I think it falls to our ears as welcome, uh, encouragement, and, and as uh, direction for us. As Paul says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. We understand a, a, a very humble part of Paul that just says this, listen, we have to admit and understand our own insignificance. I think some of, the, some, of the, some of the hardship that we deal with and some of the hardness uh, that falls on us that we react so badly to, perhaps, uh, is because we expected more of ourselves or um, we thought we deserved more, right? I mean, I think if you took both of those things, uh, that, that would dominate most of our responses. They could fall in one of those two categories. You know, we didn't do what we thought we should have done. We weren't as good as we thought we should have been or we didn't get what we deserved, and when Paul says, you know, we have received mercy, then we understand that uh, regardless of what we get, we didn't get what we deserved. And if it's all mercy, then we can take just about anything, right? Yeah, but the other part I like is uh, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. So there's no overestimation of his own worth or ability to deliver even this message that we've been given. And so Paul really just says, listen, understand and admit your own insignificance. You know, we, we have this treasure. What treasure? Well, uh, you know, this ministry, this gospel ministry that we just read, this new covenant this glorious message of Christ Jesus as Lord, the truth of salvation, that's that treasure, right? We have this treasure, this wonderful, glorious gospel of the knowledge that Paul says of the glory of God shining in the face of Christ. That's, that's God incarnate in Christ. We have this knowledge, this ministry, uh, the heart of the gospel. We have it in a treasure, this treasure in earthen vessels. And we saw last time that word really implies a very common vessel, nothing special, very fragile, uh, used for very common uh, uh, things around houses and, and uh can be easily thrown away, easily remade, uh, that kind of thing. And so, nothing special. Uh, it's implied to be fragile. That's where we get our word for oyster, uh, ostrakinos. That's, uh, that's where we get our word for a fragile oyster shell. So, it really is stark contrast between the shining glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ and the weak, fragile, breakable, ugly container in which the glory is held. And so, as we think about, you know, I didn't do what I thought I could do, just realizing back up to the point, just realize we're referred to as uh, earth, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. And, and why is Paul making that obvious observation? Well, read the next part. So that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. People who, who get to the end of a lasting ministry, who get to the end uh, of life and have a very fulfilled life, know without a shadow of a doubt that the power of the glorious gospel is not the product of some kind of human genius or human technique. As you work your way through ministry throughout the course of your life, as you teach that Sunday school class or the ladies' ministry or the Bible study or the small group or, or whatever it is, as you work your way through the ministry, uh, you, you have to understand you're holding a treasure in an earthen vessel. You're, you're not going to do what you think you can do. We're, our overestimation of our own abilities is just, uh, it, it's, it's widespread. The, the fact of the matter is the, the, the success of the ministry and the success of the gospel and the success of the Word of God is not some product of human genius, and it's not human technique. And Paul knows that his weakness doesn't prove fatal to the gospel. It's not, you know, the fact that he isn't really that great 
doesn't mean that the gospel isn't great. And it doesn't mean the gospel isn't going to be effective. He knows that, you know, and everyone knows who gives themselves to the work of the ministry, uh, that no insight of ours, no clever uh, appeal of ours, no twisting, no manipulating of people's emotions, you know, going to get anybody into the kingdom. No, no super special program, no, no uh, you know, some certain thing that we think is this is going to be the key, some, some cutting edge sign, whatever it is. Those are not the keys to successful ministry. It's understanding it's not the product of human genius, not the product of human technique, and this message is held in this very fragile uh, container. So it's never the messenger, it's always the power of the message. So we're to boldly proclaim then, as we do the work of the ministry, as we saw last week, the message of repentance, the message of submission, the message of brokenness, denying yourself, your aspirations, your plans, that's what it means to give out the gospel. You're denying those things. You're, you're going to lose yourself to find it, find your life, at bringing them all into submission of Christ. And if anything good comes then, whatever good comes along, and whenever it comes along, because the Lord's not obligated to give us any kind of success ratio uh, as we get to the end of our life, we just kind of can look and say, okay, this was good and this was good, and, and this showed a lot of good results. You know, many, many, many millions have labored in the fields and didn't really know what they had accomplished. So, and the Lord's not obligated to make us know any of those things, and I've given you plenty of examples uh, from, from the past that kind of really show that as clearly as it can be shown. So if anything good comes, it would be because God did it, and that's really what he's all about and, and what we should be all about too. If anything good comes, it would be because God did it. Now, look at verses 8 and 9, if you will. This is new for us today, so we'll look in here. And what we'll see uh, is that, you know, the waypoints we just pointed out in verse 7 are going to be illustrated by a series of four paradoxical statements. So uh, the, the power of God held in this earthen vessel, we're going to see that illustrated so clearly. On the one hand, so these comments reflect uh, the reality and the vulnerability and, and, of Paul and, and, and the possible future, of course, um, and of everyone who follows uh, this course of ministry. So difficult times certainly can be uh, included. You can be included here in some of these words. Uh, so um, it shows that vulnerability, that reality, uh, that uh, difficult times. And, and, and the frailty of the earthen vessel, the flesh, our humanity, all of that. So difficult times in this frail vessel. And then on the other hand, it will sh- it's going to show the power of God, which sustains them and uses these difficulties for his own purposes. And so we're going to see that today. That's always a good lesson to go through. Paul goes through it often, and I'm excited about us as well going through it. Now, just by way of context, as we begin to look at these verses, it's important to remember that these verses don't stand alone. We see in James chapter 1, verse 2, uh, and you'll see many of these words very similar that we're going to look at uh, in Second Corinthians today. Consider it all joy, brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, uh, lacking nothing. So, and we've looked at that passage before. I won't break it down today. It's part and parcel, though, because it's very self-explanatory. It's part and parcel of the normal Christian life that we're going to get knocked down. And in fact, it must be obvious to you by now from our studies that God has ordained difficulty for our good. And it is important to keep this understanding through our current passage. So difficult times will come, and although they come with different faces and different packages and different circumstances, they all come through the sovereignty of the Lord. And so let's read our section now. Look at verse 8, if you would, and we'll, we'll go through that. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Verse 10, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. 
And we're going to see the actual experiences that gave way to those statements in 2 Corinthians 11, but we won't look at it today. Really, verse 23 through 33, you can read that on, their, on your own. But this next waypoint, if you're keeping track, number 12, if you're taking notes, this is the, the next takeaway for you. Uh, really, to help us keep on track, another key to lasting ministry, a key to fulfilled life, we can pick up right here. Those who stay on track know that Paul, with Paul that we are to use difficult times as a way to make Jesus visible to others. Now, we've said that a bunch of different ways and, and from a bunch of different passages, but I think Paul says it as clearly here as he says uh, it anywhere else. Always caring about the body of the dying of Jesus, in the body of the dying of Jesus. Why? So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. Whatever it is, whatever the hardship is, whatever the difficulty that may come along, uh, those things all work together and should work together, and we're desirous of, and this can be a reset for you if you're going through a hard time. So in this difficult time, in the hardship, in the, in the affliction, in the, in the despairing, uh, in, the, in, uh, in the persecution, in the crushing, all, the, all those kinds of things, are you making Jesus visible to other people? Because that's a waypoint for you. And it helps you understand that God's using this for your own good. We're going to see that today. Look back at verse 8, if you would, and we'll, we'll really break it down very clearly. So he says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. And that word afflicted, present passive, phlebomenoe, kind of like you have a lisp, phlebomenoe. The word is used for the pressing of grapes. It's one that uh, thlipsis is, is, its, uh, is the verb. Um, Present passive is what I told you, thleboiminoi. Pressing of grapes to make wine, the pressing of olives to make oil. It's the pressing pressure that creates those things. So Paul says, in the course of life, you're going to have pressure uh, just like the pressure that goes on grapes and just like the pressure that goes on olives. So it'll be very, very familiar to first century readers. That's Paul's vulnerability. That's each one of us's vulnerability to be pressed. And here it's obviously being used as a figure of speech. We're not actually being squeezed in something. But through, through the course of uh, being troubled, it, you know, it's reference to sufferings due to pressure of circumstances, the antagonism of people. Uh, you know, I say all the time, the Lord makes you like Christ in two ways, your circumstances or people, difficult circumstances, difficult people. Those two things uh, will, the Lord will use to make you like Christ. And so uh, the passive voice means it's an outward force being applied to us. So it's something from the outside that's being pressed on us and bringing pressure. And then Paul says this, he qualifies it, he says, we are, we are afflicted uh, in every way. How about that? So, you know, there's no disclaimers there. Uh, the affliction can be anywhere, it can be everywhere. And some of you perhaps had a month where the pressure seemed to be everywhere. It was in the home, it was in the workplace, it was in uh, wherever you went, it just seemed like there was some pressure. You know, Paul says we are afflicted in every way. So you can just kind of throw it in there, whatever your circumstances are. You know, it could be coming through people. It could be coming through a body that doesn't work right. It could come through natural disasters. It could come through wicked rulers. And again, I'm just kind of hitting the tops. You know, it could be coming through a loss of a loved one, a loss of a job. But in every way just means it could be putting the squeeze on our assurances, our confidences, our optimism, our freedom, our faith. It's just going to be putting the squeeze on everything that we consider who we are, our independence, whatever. And Paul says there's no part of life that hasn't been touched by pressure. But in the middle of all of that, when it would seem that we would be crushed, we're not. When the obvious outcome would be, the natural outcome, normal outcome of the pressing of grapes and the pressing of olives is a completely crushed and all that's left is just this, this waste that's sometimes used for other things, but the olive completely crushed. But 
Paul says we're pressed like that, but not crushed. And again, present passive. Sinocoreo, and of course it, it would be the final outcome of the pressing of grapes, a complete crushing. But here again, in a, in a figure of speech, which has to do with being in distress, that's the word, we're, we're uh, not distressed. Paul says um, that's the paradox, see? We, we are being pressed, and in this frail body it would seem like, and, and this frail container would seem like that would be it. But there's the paradox because the power of God is residing here. And so in the pressing, we're not crushed, Paul says, the power of the Lord in the clay pot. And that's the waypoint. And as you think about this, and you really want to make an application here, and I think this is wise to do, when you, because I just said this to somebody not, not that long ago, I don't remember who, you know, when, when the pressure comes, what's getting squeezed out for you? See? As, you as you're being put in the pressure cooker, as, as, as uh, hardship is coming on you, or whatever it is, and, and wh- at whatever point in your life it is, through people, through uh, your, your job, through your body, you're having some trouble with your body, natural disaster, wicked rule, loss, loss of a loved one, loss of a job, uh, whatever's putting a squeeze on you, when that squeeze is happening, what's, com- what's coming out, see? And what's happening when that squeezes on you? Because, you know, the Lord says very clearly through Paul that we're always caring about the body of the dying of Jesus so that, what, the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. And there's a story about not long after the Moravian missionaries began ministering to slaves in the Caribbean, unredeemed John Wesley found himself aboard a ship with a group of them. January 25th, 1736. That's what, about 280 years ago last Sunday or so. Seem, doesn't seem like that long ago that John Wesley was around, but it's been a long time. We talk about him often because he made such a big impact. So he's on a ship, he's unredeemed, he's with these Moravian missionaries, and um, he's keeping a journal. And he said that the weather was rough, the ship, they'd endured three storms already, a fourth was brewing. He scribbles in his journal, Wesley does, storm greater, I'm afraid. That's what he puts down in his journal. But as he observed the Moravian missionaries, they appeared to be trusting God so simply and so completely um, that they evidenced really no sign of fear that he could see as he watched them very closely. And he said, they even persevered, quote, in their plans for a worship service. In the middle of their singing, a gigantic wave rose up over the side of the vessel, splitting the mainsail and covering the ship, pouring water like Niagara Falls between the decks, Wesley said, quote, as if the great deep had already swallowed us up, end quote. So he's terrified. He's in the middle of perhaps a hurricane, tropical storm somewhere in a sailing ship uh, out in the Caribbean somewhere. The English passengers screamed as the ship lurched and pitched between the towering waves and the terrified Wesley clung on for dear life. But the German missionaries didn't miss a note. Wesley, awestruck by their composure, later went to the leader and asked, weren't you afraid? And the leader replied, I thank God, no. Wesley said, were not your women and children afraid? No, the man said, I do not believe they were. Our women and children were not afraid. Back in London, Wesley was so struck by their unflappability, he said, in the middle of difficult circumstances that he attended a Moravian meeting at Aldersgate Street on May 24th, 1738. And guess what happened? He came to faith that day. And so, I, you know, as I think about the pressing pressure and I think about those missionaries in the middle of uh, a raging sea having great difficulty and probably fearing for life if they allowed themselves to go that direction, but had faith in the Lord and manifested that faith with the pressure on them, what came out was this oil of contentment and this oil of 
perseverance and trust in the Lord. And here's an unsaved John Wesley who, you know, if you think about the magnitude of his ministry, uh, you know, here's these little Moravian uh, missionaries. They're going to go to the Caribbean. They're going to minister among the slaves, and nobody knows their names, and, and, but the Lord knows who they are. And in the middle of pressing pressure, someone was watching who the Lord had a ministry for as well. And what, what ended up shining out wasn't their fear and it wasn't their, why are we here, Lord, we're doing your work, why are you doing this to me kind of thing, but instead just an unflappability from John Wesley's perspective of, I just trust the Lord and, and we're going we're gonna to do exactly what he wants us to do and we're just going to praise him no matter what. And so pressed on every side, they were not in distress, and that made John Wesley see Jesus very visibly as an unredeemed sinner. Romans chapter 5, verse 3 really illustrates this so well. He says this. He says, we also exalt, uh, that's the word boast. In some ways, and this is not forwarding, guys. So if you can put that on, it's, um, there you go, thank you. Um, we also exalt, that's the word boast. We boast in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. Now, we've looked at this verse many, many years ago. But we exalt, that's the word boast, in tribulations. That's our word, plipsis. Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. That's the word for patience. And perseverance, proven character. And we'll look at that in just a minute, proven character, hope. Paul says that the believer isn't crushed. He isn't distressed. Instead of that, they can even rejoice in their pressure. Now, that's the exceeding wonder of the treasure contained in this uh, frail vessel. Apostle Paul's going to give us a life tip, and I think, you know, he knows a little bit about this one, don't, don't you? I mean, he, he, he obviously has been under pressure, so obviously we're not, we're not seeking tribulation. I mean, we, we don't, like, look for that. We, we wouldn't say, Lord, give us pressure. I mean, in our, in our prayer time, we're not saying, Lord, give us hardship, bring things on us that really squeeze us and put us to the test. Obviously, we're not looking for that, but it happens in the course of life. And Paul says, I mean, if, if, if it was up to us to be purified by pressure, we'd never ask for it, right? I mean, look, we don't take care of ourselves in the physical realm at all either, right? We know what we should and shouldn't eat. We know we should be exercising, you know, all those kinds of things. And we don't do that. And we know the outcome of that will be bad. So in the spiritual realm, it's very similar. If we knew that it was pressure and difficult times and difficult people that would bring us to this image of Christ, we'd be asking for it all the time. But we don't, even though we understand this is the case. We'd like to avoid it if we can, much like Brussels sprouts or whatever you don't like. That's what I don't like. I avoid that as much as I can, but it happens in the course of life, Paul says in our passage, it comes about in every part of our life, and we can replace being distressed with boasting. Why? Well, because the tribulation now produces a kind of character that has a greater appreciation of the future because we have a hope. That's how Paul explains it there. In, in the other passage, he says, you know, we have this pressing pressure on us, and we contain this marvelous uh, gospel in this frail vessel, and when we're pressed and all that, we're not crushed, and we're always caring about in the body uh, in our body, the dying of Christ, so that he may be manifested. Everybody's looking around. Everybody's looking at us. You can see, the, so you can see Christ. But here Paul says, you know, we understand that uh, out of this whole pressing pressure comes some processes that we need, and we can replace being distressed with boasting because we're going to have this character that has a greater appreciation of the hope that we have. We know that, you know, no matter what happens, uh, no matter what comes, no matter how overwhelming it is, it can never take away our promised glory. It just makes, us, uh, makes that promised glory appear more like it really is, all the sweeter in the, in the hardship and the difficulty and the pressing pressure of the life. And we look forward to this glory that we have. We look forward to the hope that we have. And it just makes it look all the sweeter in the middle of the hardship. And, and we have a, a sure glory to come so that we, we have a sure hope that God will show himself to us 
perfectly there. So we can look over and through and in our trials and, and see that it is his plan. And I think um, when, when Christians get a handle on that truth before they go through difficulty, they go through a difficulty so much differently than the world does. And you've seen this, I'm sure, as you've watched people go through very hard times and you've seen them manage those hard times like the word explains to us we should, making Jesus visible, uh, and they also understand that the Lord's perfecting them, that they're going to be more appreciative of the future hope and the glory that is still to come, that they know this is process of purifying going on, you know, and they're, they're grasping and getting a reality of that. And I really think that the Lord gives grace for that. I mean, if your mindset is that, beloved, see, before the hardship comes, your mindset is, you know, the, these are from the Lord's hand. The Lord's not surprising. Uh, he's not surprised that this has come. Uh, it didn't take, catch him off guard that now I'm going through this. Instead, it sovereignly through his hand, and you've got that mindset, then I think the Lord gives you that grace to really grow in that, in that area. But if you've if you thought that your life is supposed to be great, and because it's not, you didn't get what you deserve, and I think you, you're going to go in the other direction. You're not making Jesus visible, and you're not being purified, and, and you're not being to, to, to have perseverance and, and proven character, and proven character hope. See, you miss out on all of that. So, Christians can go through difficulty much differently than the world. They go through pressing pressure much differently. They're not crushed. We don't curse God like the rest of the world does. We don't question God like other people do. That's not what believers are supposed to do, see? We, we rejoice in tribulation. That's what Paul says, rejoice, exalt in tribulation in the pressing pressure because we see in the hard times a product. And when we get into real pressure and we really have it on us, then again, what comes out of us is that the oil of perseverance, see? Verse 3, hupomone, it just means steadfastness. The ability uh, to stay on course regardless of the waves. You know, you go through trouble, you learn to endure, and you go through trouble, and you learn to endure, and every time that happens, you're learning perseverance and patience, and you're being perfected, see. And learning to endure and to stay on course produces, verse 4 says, this, this wine of proven character. Dokime, it just means a specimen of tried worth. Your Bible may have experience there. The idea is it's this experience that's the right kind of experience. You, you have persevered in pressure. You've been patient in the hard times, and you've endured it over and over again. You know the Lord's doing some perfecting. You know the Lord wants to make Jesus clear. You know the Lord wants to, 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 to squeeze out of you this wine of, of, of faithfulness. And when he gets all done doing that, you, are, you have this proven character. And this has to do with approving something or someone, putting it to the test, gold or make, making sure it's pure, um, silver to the test, making sure it's pure. That's what the Lord's doing through the pressure, see? So another perspective in Romans from, from 2 Corinthians, but much along the same lines, he's putting pressure, uh, you're being squeezed, Jesus is going to be visible, see? Putting pressure, you're being squeezed, and out of that comes patience, and out of that comes proven character, see? So when you have this pressing pressure, it produces endurance, and when you go through the trouble, you learn endurance and you're a specimen then of tried worth. See, that's the idea. It's purging out the flaws. It's purging out the imperfections. So Paul says, you know, here's your life tip. Boast in these things. Why? Because it's building your faith. It's producing holiness. We're trusting God more and we're growing stronger spiritually. And, and, uh, and why is that good? Well, that's part of the purifying process. When we go through difficult times, when we have a choice, uh, we can rejoice in it. Be confident that we are in God's care, receiving the proving and the strengthening and the benefit he intends, or you can doubt God. 
and say, why me, God, and uh, why, why do I have to do this, God, and, and this doesn't seem fair, Lord, that I'm doing all this work for you, and I'm living for you, and you know my struggles at home, and you know my, how my husband is, or how my wife is, or you know how my kids are, or whatever, and I'm doing all this, and then I'm, this is, other stuff is being thrown on me, why me, why me, see? Well, then, then you're in the opposite, you're in the opposite uh, ball field from where the Lord wants you. And you can doubt God, and then it becomes an opportunity to do evil and disobey the word, see? And for more on that, you can see James 1 and just kind of read through. But, you know, Romans 5, 3 through 4, not only this, but we also exalt, we rejoice in our tribulation. Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and steadfast, that's steadfastness, and perseverance, proven character. You're a specimen of tried worth, and proven character, hope. In other words, as we go as we grow stronger spiritually, the greater our hope becomes and the greater our rejoicing becomes because greater is our reward of glory that awaits us there. See, the more we're put through pressure, if we understand this passage correctly, then the Lord has set up this, this glory that's going to be yours because you were a specimen of tried worth and he counted you worthy to go through the hard times and he put the pressure on you but you weren't crushed because you're this, you've got this marvelous message inside this clay pot and that's that, 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 that uh, the Lord at work in you that paradox of, of hardship and, and you can't bear it but the Lord's bearing it up and, and he's making you uh, the specimen of tried worth and he's got this glory set up for you and you have this hope of this future time and you have this glory that you'll be able to shine on the Lord so wonderfully that you'd never have if the Lord hadn't took, taken you through the difficult times. We go stronger spiritually and the greater our hope becomes and the greater our rejoicing becomes because greater is our reward of glory that awaits us there. So we just receive it and have a greater joy at casting it at the feet of Jesus. Now, mark this if you would, beloved. And this, um, you know, salvation occurs on a divine level, right? I mean, think about it. it, it you know, you, you take a bitter, and I've told you this before a long time ago. I'll just go over it with you again. You take a bitter, angry, cantankerous person and um, lots of bad habits, foul mouth, lots, you know, all kinds of things they're involved with, okay? That's how the world is. I mean, you know, bitter, angry, cantankerous person, all these vices, and they get saved. And for the most part, you have a forgiven, bitter, angry, cantankerous person with all these vices. Because it occurs on a divine level, right? Salvation doesn't refine your character when you come to faith. You know, if you, um, you still love yourself most, you're still selfish you're still proud maybe a little less so in your thankfulness that you've been redeemed but um but still that way salvation really is an appropriation by faith of the forgiveness of god offered through the death and resurrection of jesus that's salvation you appropriated that by faith and you changed you the old man was put to death with jesus and the new man was given to you and it came to life and that one's living inside you now right that's salvation but that doesn't refine your character you you are still basically the same person you were before, and you understand that. And some of you came to faith late in life, and you, you've worked through those things, right? And, and you know, I've learned that you know, the Holy Spirit does a lot better than me. I don't have to point out, you really need to get this straight, you know? The Holy Spirit begins to do that in the life of people as they come to faith. They, he goes to work, okay? But what salvation does do, see, is it plants in you the capacity to be perfected. That's what it does. On this divine level, you have appropriated by faith the forgiveness of God offered through the death and resurrection of Jesus, and you have passed out of death and into life, delivered from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. 
And now you, the, the real you is fit for the kingdom, but you're still clothed in the body that was uh, attracted to all the other things that the world offers, right? It's still attracted to that. But you've been given the capacity to be perfected. And then the purging process begins, and the Lord uses difficult times and difficult people and his word and all of that, and they come into your life and you rejoice because they bring pressure on you and they squeeze you and you have some hardship and your car breaks down and, you're, and you have some health problems and something happens with one of your kids and, and wh whatever it is, and the Lord's putting the pressure on you. You're not crushed completely. He's there to deliver. That's the paradox. The, the, the power of God is in him and not you. You're the frail vessel, but you're being crushed. You're being pressed. You're, you know, the pressure's on you because the Lord wants Jesus to be very clear when people look at you, and he wants the wine of the perseverance to be squeezed out of you, right? That's the, and as you get that pressure on you, and it's not the wine of perseverance being squeezed out, then you need to be reevaluating where you are, okay? What do I know about the Lord and his goodness? See, because he, he's going to keep putting this squeeze on you until he's getting out of you what he'd like to get out of you, okay? Perseverance and proven character. And so you're thinking, man, it just seems like we're going through one trial after another, just one, one hardship after another. Well, beloved, and I, I'm not saying that this is the case because the Lord has all kinds of reasons why he puts difficult times on people. He may be proving a heavenly point with you. Did you know that? Like Job. I mean, Job, Job hadn't done anything to draw the Lord's attention to him, had he? He was a faithful guy, prayed for his kids, uh, a faithful giver, uh, good testimony in the community, right? Even so much so that if Satan was looking for somebody to accuse, what did the Lord say? Hey, take a look at Job. I mean, isn't that what you'd really want the Lord to do? If, if, if the accuser, I mean, you may say, no, not really, because I don't want that attention, you know. But, I mean, theoretically, okay, I mean, if you just think about it, wouldn't you like the Lord to say, well, consider this family. You say that every family is like this? No, I would say, because the accuser does that all the time. You realize that. He still gets to do that until the tribulation period, and then he won't get to be in heaven accusing anymore. But he walks around accusing the brethren. And, it, and wouldn't you like the Lord to be able to say, well, take a look at this person, right? I mean, that's a, that's a marvelous thing if you think about that. And so all this pressure comes on Job, and it's, you know, what's getting squeezed out? Well, some imperfections, if you read the book of Job, obviously, but also the wine of patience and perseverance, right, and proven character, and that's what ends up happening. And that's the kind of people we want to be, see? So you find yourself going through difficult times, difficult times. I'm not going to say that, you know, you, he hasn't squeezed any of that out of you yet. Maybe he did, but maybe he hasn't. And maybe you're still reacting exactly the same way. Every time a hardship comes, it's like, why me, Lord? I'm just trying to live for you here. Hey, heads up. Doing the best I can. Lay off. See, and that just puts you in the opposite place. And then now you're in a place where you can sin, see? But the Lord doesn't want you there. He's like, okay, Lord, well, this is where you want me to, and this is what you want me to do, and this is out of my hands, and I can't control this, so I'm just going to trust you. Listen, I'm just going to trust you. That's what the Lord really wants, right? I just, you know best. You know best. And so that purging process begins, and the Lord uses all that in your life because you're going to become a specimen of tried worth, and he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And he's not going to lay off. Until he's brought you to the place he wants you to be in sanctification. And then someday then he's going to catch you away to be with him. Give you a new body, which will match the new you that's on the inside. And forever you'll be with the Lord. Never able to sin again. Never ever to compromise again. But the reward and the glory and the joy that you're going to take with you to that eternal state is going to be from here. See? In the way that you manage the difficult times the Lord pushed onto you. Did you make Jesus visible? Did he squeeze out of you that 
wine of perseverance and, and the oil of proven character and hope. James 1.12, just stop up there really quickly again. Blessed is the man who perseveres under a trial for once he's been approved. In other words, there's the same words. Once you have endured, once you've passed the test, you're a specimen of tried worth. He will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. That's not salvation, beloved. It's a reward. It's a crown you can earn. I'm not exactly sure how it's going to work, but it's something that you get because why? You have endured under oppressing pressure and you've been approved. You've been purified to the point that the Lord can say, hey, this is my beloved child and they endured very difficult times while they were in the shadow land and now they're here and this is a reward they'll always keep because of how they honored me. They made Jesus visible and I squeezed out of them over and over again until I finally got perseverance and proven character and hope. And that just makes us look at the world completely differently, doesn't it? For us. We, we shouldn't be managing the pressures of life like the world does. And if you are, beloved, just go to the Lord right now and say, man, I've been messing this up. And I really want it. I want these things squeezed out of me. And I want Jesus visible as I'm caring about the body of the dying Christ. Paul says, know this, you know, he's proving you. And no matter what the trials bring and no matter what they do, be encouraged and don't be crushed because there's one thing they can never do and that's take away our hope of future glory, ever. Whatever the Lord takes you through and however difficult the end is, in fact, come what may, they just strengthen you and they give you a better capacity to receive it. They give you more opportunity to be rewarded for it. They develop your spiritual character and the greater your spiritual character, the more Jesus is visible in you and, and that will just produce greater opportunity for your rejoicing in what God has for you in the future. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 2, one of my favorite passages, as Paul talks about Timothy, he said, we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's fellow worker, and wouldn't you like to be, these are just great phrases, would you like the Lord to refer to you as God's fellow worker? I mean, do you do, you do that when you read through scriptures, like, Lord, I, that'd be really great if that's kind of just a, a nickname, you know, God's fellow worker. In the gospel of Christ... So he sent Timothy, God's fellow worker, our brother, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions for you or yourselves know that we have been destined for this. So I sent Timothy to remind you that it isn't odd that you're going through difficult times. So Paul, just in his courtesy and in his love for the church, said, I'm going to send Timothy to, to, over to you. I'm just, he's going to encourage you again. And I'm, not tell, and I'm not telling you anything new. I'm encouraging you again and stirring up your heart by remembrance. But he said, he's like, I'm going to send Timothy to you. I'm going to remind you that don't be disturbed about the pressing pressure that you're in, see? Um, you yourselves know we've been destined for this. It was already planned out. The Lord wants to perfect you, and he's going to use these things for that. For indeed, we were, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction, and so it came to pass, as you know. Beloved, know this early on. Know this before they come. We're destined for them. That's a great word. But in the sovereignty of God, th this is the paradox. that The power of God held in a frail, ugly, common vessel shows our insignificance, and it shows God's power. And additionally, we know that through it, the Lord desires to perfect us, and know through it that he may be chasing us and, and know that through it that God may be proving a heavenly point or any number of those combinations going on at any different at any given time see but be a faith knowing that it's from the Lord's hand and he's bringing this to bear and like Paul says we're pressed but we're not crushed 
whatever he's, he's doing, he's able to sustain us and, he, and we can use the pressing pressure as a way to make Jesus clear to others. Let's look at the next paradox, the next part of verse 8. Look there, perplexed, he says, perplexed but not despairing. Um, present middle verb, aporumenoi, compound word, has to do with stepping off a path. Have you ever been, have you ever been there? Have you ever been out hiking, ever been out hunting or we're way away from everything and then um, you've been out hours and then you've been walking along and all of a sudden nothing really is looking that familiar to you. That ever happened? Yeah, that's it, happened. If you hike enough, you're going to be in that position at some point, okay? Uh, you're like, uh, I'm not really sure where I'm, I'm not exactly sure which direction I'm supposed to go, all right? I've been there. I remember I was probably in my early 20s um, uh, in the backwoods of Arizona. And it took me a while to figure it out. I had to sit down, have a drink, and and uh, of water, and um, <laughs> had a little snack, build up my blood sugar again, and and kind of get my bearings direction-wise, way up in some mountains, and figure out how to get back to my pickup, which was many, many miles away. But Paul says part of the Christian life is being perplexed, but the word has to do with getting lost on a journey, um, not sure where to put your feet next. And you've probably been there. So Paul's not really talking about getting lost in the woods. He's talking about not really sure what to do next. Have you ever been in, in so much difficulty that you didn't know what direction to go? If you've got enough kids, you'll be there at some point, okay? I don't even know what to do with all of this, okay? We were, all, we were always spank first and ask questions later. That's kind of how we dealt with the we're not sure where to go. But you, you're not sure what to do. Paul says, listen, um, we're perplexed. Can you imagine Paul ever being that way? He, to me, he seems like a guy that always knew what the next step would be, right? Okay, this is where I'm going next, and I'm going to go here, and I'm going to go here, and, you know, then, then after that, I'm going back over here, and it, it just kind of seems to have his way planned out. But Paul says, listen, we're perplexed. He's admitting from his heart. Sometimes I don't know I'm lost. I don't know what the next step is going to be, see? Sometimes we don't know. Circumstances can be overwhelming. Tough problems can make it hard to know what to do. But even in the midst of confusion... Here it is. We know that that's temporary, and so we're not despairing. Ex poromenoi. So we're out of that. We're out, we're out of the, the lostness, not because somehow we know right away what it is, the next step is, but we know that the Lord knows. So we're not despairing in this, see? Um, we don't lose all hope because we know that God knows what the next step is, so we're not without it, see? And again, as with affliction, there's this perfecting purpose and a trust in the sovereignty of God and the providence of God. And even when we're not sure where the next step is, as we're carrying along in our own body the dying of Christ, what do we make invisible? Jesus. People are going to watch. When you're in difficult times, you're not sure where to go next. Are you trusting that the Lord knows so you're not despairing? See? And I think, I think it's, um, I don't think it's a secret that God works out these things in his timing, reveals the path when he wants to reveal it, right? And uh, patience and fasting can give us the opportunity to know God's will in the matter. We've used that, my wife and I, over the years. Um, just waiting and fasting and asking the Lord for an answer. We needed to make a decision and we didn't know which one to make and so we asked the Lord for wisdom in that certain area. But I remember reading about William Carey, father of modern missions, and uh, his desire to go to India. And, and if you think about Kerry's life, and he was a shoemaker, and all the things that happened that led up to his ability to go, and how, all the difficult things he had to endure in England just to get him to let him go, 
and convince them that it was more important to go to unreached people than it was to stay and preach at a church locally. And so you can read about him. It's, uh, it's amazing. But if you think about, uh, you know, William Carey, just a real go-getter, and this uh, marvelous work that has happened in his wake. But he, he went through all these details and, and hardship uh, in his desire to go to India. He finally boarded this ship to travel to Calcutta. And if you read about this, it's amazing. And think about him. So he's got all his luggage and a wife that didn't really want to go, and she's, she's, uh, she's heavy with child, and she doesn't want to deliver on a ship, and she doesn't want to deliver in India, and, and there's a whole bunch of stuff going on. So he's on the boat. It's fine. Like, you know, he can just collective sigh of relief. I'm on my way. And he gets on the boat, and uh, the captain gets word from the trading company that they don't really want Carrie there, so they put him off on the Isle of Wight with all of his stuff. So he's standing there on the Isle of Wight. All of his luggage is around him on, on the wharf, and the boat sails away. And he's just kind of kind of looking around him, and you know, all of his hopes are dashed. And 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 uh, to his friend Andrew Fuller, he writes this quote: "All I can say in this affair is that, however mysterious the leadings of providence are, here it is, beloved. I have no doubt they are superintended by an infinitely wise God." End quote. Would that have been the first thing you would have said, as you all your luggage and your wife and everything is? Loaded on to the shore of the Isle of Wight, and the boat sails away. That was one. It took you so long to get on, and then there you are. Just didn't go very far. And and I think that that's that. It's not unusual for people to to just trust the Lord in the next step. But I think it's 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 a disciplined reaction, isn't it? Lord, I know that you know the next step, and you may take me through an issue where I don't really know what to do next, but I know I can trust you. See. He didn't want, know what to do at that point, what, what step to take next, but he didn't lose hope. He knew God would order his steps and had everything planned out. And, and as you probably have read, you know that his wife ended up giving birth and then she was much more inclined to go and the Lord worked out another passage for him and he was able to go anyway. But it wasn't the timing. The Lord put him there and, and, but didn't reveal to him what the next step was at that point. But he said, he wrote to his friend Andrew and said, listen, I know that whatever the next step is, it's superintended by an infinitely wise God and so I'm just gonna trust it. That's where we want to be, isn't it? That's what we aspire to. And when we're not in the, the confusing times and we don't know where we don't know what to do next, we say, that's what I would do. But we really want to do that. And so we make that our discipline, you see. As Paul reveals his heart, he says, this is a waypoint, you know, understand. Sometimes you're going to be perplexed, but don't despair. Trusting God's hand in the process shows really a stark difference between us and the unredeemed and how they handle not knowing what the next step is and how believers manage it inside this paradox of his power held in a common fragile clay pot. And, and he's empowered us uh, to vo- volitionally determine, that's what we just said a minute ago, to, to use difficult times as an opportunity to make Jesus clear to other people and an opportunity to squeeze from us uh, the wine and the oil of patience and, and a proven character. See. Now look at verse 9. Verse 9 says, we, uh, we are persecuted, he said. And that's the idea, of, the idea of being put to flight, harassed, troubled. We understand persecution. It's for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of naming Christ. Our persecution for Christ's sake really arises, as you know, out of the, from the same causes as his, namely opposition to, of darkness to light, the truth of the word of God over against the lies of, of the evil one by the world, the sinfulness of men, you know, hard hearts, stiff necks. We're not talking about persecution because we were lazy or because we're a bad worker 
I don't transfer that into why I'm a believer, and that's why I'm getting persecuted. Listen, we're supposed to work hard to adorn the gospel, so don't, don't mistake uh, just doing a bad job in your, in your job and then just thinking, well, it's because I'm a Christian, okay? So th- the idea, though, is here that harassed or troubled for the sake of Christ or for the sake of the gospel. So we're, we're persecuted, put to flight, harassed, but we're not forsaken, and that is the compound verb to leave alone. We're not, he, the Lord doesn't turn away from us. Quite the opposite of being forsaken, really in the midst of, of the persecution. Jesus tells his followers both then and now, he says in Matthew chapter 5 verse 11, he says, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Now, how many would want any of those three to happen to them on any given day? Okay, you don't want people to insult you. You would rather not have people harass you and trouble you, and you'd rather have them not say false things against you because of Christ. I mean, we'd like to avoid that, but that is part of the part and parcel of our our work, walk with Christ. And then what does Jesus say? Kind of like what Paul said, right? He said, uh, boast in your true relations. Jesus said, rejoice and be glad. Here it is. Your reward in heaven is great. Guess what, beloved? That reward isn't available to anybody else. It's available to you as you go through this. Your reward in heaven is great. This is Jesus. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so you're in a pretty exclusive company, aren't you? It's hard to remember that, though, when we're enduring difficult times because of our love for the Lord. But the Lord says, rejoice and be glad. Remember the disciples when they were arrested and brought and whipped and they left? And what were they doing? Rejoicing because they were counted worthy to suffer for the sake of Christ. Not only has God not turned his back on you when you're having difficult times for his name, he's put you in a position of great reward and counted you worthy to be persecuted. And, and, and one of the marvelous things about that is, is that you will have a reward that no one else will have who didn't endure the difficult things you endured. I, many of you have been um, um, following the early rain church in China. How many have read any of that, uh, the, the reports of the difficult times that people in China are having? So just three days ago, one of the wives of one of the elders um, wrote this. And I'll just read it to you because it really just embraces precisely what we, precisely what we just got through saying. It goes through all the emotion of, of being, you know, it, your human emotions and then really the superseding power of this power of God in, a, in, a, in this clay pot. Here's what she says. She said, um, I know you must be where she's writing to her husband who has been gone uh, and she doesn't know where he is, but she writes in this letter. She says, I know you must be worried about me because You've seen how much of a mess I've been lately, but I'm doing very well now. I've loved the, I love the Lord more these past two days than I ever have before. More than anything, my heart is joyful and at peace. At night, tears flow by themselves, but it's not grief. It's hard to say exactly what it is. I just spent a long time thinking about it, and I'm still thinking to myself, why are you crying? And I finally asked myself, aren't you willing to experience this tiny little bit of pain for the Lord? And my conclusion was, I'm willing. I'm very willing because I know that this slight momentary affliction is not worth comparing to that eternal glory that is to come. I'm willing to foot that bill. So why am I crying? Well, it might just be because I'm human. But you can completely relax. Crying is one thing. Finishing crying is another. I allow myself to cry, but I haven't felt the least bit of despair. Even if I look for it, I can't find any. Sometimes I want to despair for a moment and grieve a little bit, but I really don't feel like doing it. 
So forget about it. I think the Lord has replaced that despair with his fullness. The little ones miss you. I told them missing daddy is normal. It'd be strange not to miss him. If you miss him, then miss him. Little D then immediately said, after we fall asleep, we won't miss him anymore. And then he immediately fell asleep. Kids follow you, don't they? They take your cues. This afternoon, I prayed with you according to our agreed upon time. Sorry, I was 10 minutes or so late. Lastly, I want to say that knowing what I'm going to receive as a result of what I'm going through now makes me feel so much better. I really do thank our Father in heaven. His plans are most certainly the best. They cannot be mistaken. So what more is there to say? I will joyfully accept them. That was three days ago. I'm like, that's the perfect illustration. I don't have to do anything with that. That's precisely what we've been saying this entire time. And she, did she struggle a little bit? Do we? Sure, because we have feelings and we have certain emotions and we have things that we thought our life would be and aspirations and whatever, but we gave them up when we came to Christ, didn't we? We said, you know, I'll lose my life to find it and I'll give up all of that stuff and I'll take on my cross and I'll carry it. And then the Lord said, look, the slave's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they're gonna persecute you. And so she went through all the struggles, struggles. And you know, she didn't know if her husband's gonna read this or not. He's not at home, but she's writing and she's just telling these things that are going through her heart and she's very open. Is that helpful to you? It was super helpful to me. This is precisely where you want to be. At the end of the day, you want to close with a volitional statement that just says, listen, if this is what the Lord wants me to take, okay, I'm good with it. And I don't really feel any kind of harshness towards anybody. It's not great. I looked for it. I don't, I don't feel that. And, and this is the grace of the Lord at work in the hearts of those that are his. And that's what I told you. When you've determined in your heart this is what you want to do, then when you think about the hardship, you're thinking, maybe I don't think I could do it. But if you've determined beforehand, this is how I want to live, I think that the Lord steps in in his grace, and here's this frail pot holding this glorious message, and the Lord just strengthens you. He doesn't let you be crushed. He doesn't let you be, he lets you be a little bit, you might not know what the next step is, but he's, you know, he's there. He knows what it is, you know, persecuted but not forsaken, see? So that's the grace of the Lord at work in the hearts of those that are his. These things Paul is saying from his own heart, his keys to lasting ministry and fulfilled life, they aren't directed to just a select few of super Christians who can do it. It's directed to everybody. See, these are the habits of believers around the world throughout all the ages. And we're seeing it happen right now in China. And we get to see what's happening on a daily basis. And finally, at the end of verse 9, Paul says this. He says, um, and this will be our last of our four paradoxes, if you can look there. I'll just read the whole, the whole section. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, not despairing, persecuted, not forsaken. Here it is, struck down. Katabalo present passive again, literally to be thrown to the ground, um, like a lot of that stuff's going to happen this evening at 6.30 and following, that kind of throwing to the ground. But that's not, I mean, it's a figure of speech like the rest of them, okay? Paul's not in a vice being physically squeezed, but he's being squeezed in situation, and this is the, this is the idea here too, literally thrown to the ground, but I think it has to do with really a humbling experience. It, can, it refers to humbling. I think, so a humbling experience, I think, a lower position. Sometimes the Lord uses situations like this to bring us to a place where we need to be and learn a lesson we need to learn. I don't think we all seek out to be humbled in front of other people, right? Uh, and his power in this vessel of clay just works to use it for his glory. And, and sometimes, for instance, like in Joseph's case, you know, it's that God's working his own plan out to place Joseph in the kingdom. Here's Joseph, an esteemed son, right? 
apple of his father's eye. You know, he's in slow, sold into slavery, falsely accused in Potiphar's house, thrown into prison. I would say he took a pretty big humbling tumble, right? Right on down to a lot lower position. He's in prison, so he begins just to be faithful in prison, just trust the Lord and do the things the Lord, the Lord gives him an opportunity to speak into the lives of some people. And then they get, they get released, but does he? No. You know, again, it's, it, these are the ways the Lord works to make us like himself. So you've got Joseph, God working his own plan out, placed Joseph as his man in the kingdom. There was some time there that had to elapse, and then he wanted Joseph right where he needed him so that when the famine came and all that stuff, Joseph's there, and, he, and all of God's people could come to Egypt and be delivered. See, the Lord had his plan, and so he humbled Joseph, put him in a place where he could really use him and really work through him, and then elevated him to where he wanted him to be. And the Lord has the right to do that, and he does that. And Job, again, could be used as an example of humbling, striking down, you know, to prove a heavenly point. He got humbled big time. And so his four advisors come in, and those are the guys you don't want to be, by the way. The majority of Job, when you read the advisors, those are the guys you don't want to be like, okay? The Lord had harsh words for them, not harsh words for Job, okay? They didn't give him good advice. So here's these guys telling him, oh, you must have sinned, and oh, you, you know, confess your sins, and why are you so, why are you so proud, whatever, you know? And they forgot to understand. The Lord said, have you, have you looked at Job, who, who's a righteous man, you know? And so, you know, Job certainly proves our point. God uses Job's difficulty and hardship to settle an argument from our accuser. And, and Jesus had a lot to say about this in the Gospels, and we just pick out one because we're out of time. Luke chapter 14, verse 8, he says, um, this is great. When you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, you not take the place of honor for someone more distinguished than you may have been invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this man. And then in disgrace you'll proceed to occupy the last place. But when you are invited, um, go and recline in the last place so that when the one who has invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher, then you'll have honor in the sight of all who are at the table with you. Verse 11, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now there's several dozen verses in parallel uh, in the Gospels that have that and say it a little differently and all very rich and much meaning there. But a practice of putting yourself in a lower position is a good thing. That's from Jesus. Uh, not imagining yourself having a, a high seat or whatever or being very important. And, and when God has to do it and he has to cast us down, we may be very uncomfortable. We're struck down. I mean, that can be hard. And, and the process may run really contrary to what we had imagined we would do or be. The Lord may have some other things in his mind for you or for me. But when we are struck down, Paul says we're not destroyed, we're not ruined. That's the idea of rendered useless. We're not. We may think we are. The humbling may put us in a place like Joseph where he thought, what, what good am I here? And Job, I mean, I had a lot more influence before. I mean, I was influencing for good. What, what good am I here on the ash heap with everything in my life gone and even my health threatened. Certainly not destroyed. That's the word for perish. We're, we're right where, though, he can use us best. The, the idea there, again, that's why Paul didn't have to worry when the results that uh, he perhaps expected didn't come to be. I, th I think about Jeremiah's ministry, and, and perhaps you've read through um, those prophets, but think about how tough it was. I, I think about he was ministering in the middle of God's judgment. Uh, when the Lord called him, he said to Jeremiah, do you remember, 
Remember this call? Imagine everybody wants, you know, as they go into ministry, they have some idea of what they want to accomplish, perhaps the things that will be true or of them uh, when they get done, you know. And I would imagine it was the same with Jeremiah. Jeremiah's called to ministry. So the Lord didn't leave any doubt about where he was headed. I think this is very interesting. He goes, I'll pronounce my judgments on them concerning all their wickedness, whereby they have forsaken me and have offered sacrifices to other gods and worship the works of their own hands. Verse 17, now gird up your loins and arise. Get ready to go. Speak to them all which I command you. Do not be dismayed before them, or I will dismay you before them. Now behold, verse 18, I have made you today as a fortified city and as a pillar of iron and as walls of bronze against the whole land to the kings of Judah, to its princes, to its priests, and to the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they will not overcome you, for I am with you to deliver you declares the Lord. That probably isn't exactly what people would imagine as they begun ministry, that, that it would be this way. But the Lord was very clear. Listen, um, you're going to have to give my judgments to a people who aren't even listening to my word at all. And you're going to have to tell them what they've done wrong. And they're going to hate you. But I'm going to make you like a fortified city and like a bronze wall. You're going to be unassailable. And just do what I say and give them the word that I have. And I will deliver you. And I think everybody has expectations of results, but the key really we saw several weeks ago is to know that we don't control the results. We're just supposed to be obedient to do what the Lord has said to do. And as Paul said, you know, we don't preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord. We're your bond servants for Jesus' sake. We're not making Paul disciples. We're making Jesus disciples. And Jesus has the right to do that however he wants to do it. And he can use it through our frailty and difficulty and humbling and pressing and whatever. Or he can use it through uh, what seems to be obvious success from the ministry that we're doing. Either way, he's allowed to do it, see? And then Jeremiah 45, 5. Uh, and this is an interesting place. And, and with this, we're going to wrap up. Jeremiah gets towards the end of his difficult ministry, really full of hardship, full of hunger, full of suffering, all kinds of terrible things happen. He gets thrown into a well. He's sunken up in the well. It imagines he, gets, he, gets, he sinks into the mud at the bottom of the well. He's up to about his armpits. This is where they left him for days. Um, people had to beg for them to give him something to eat that he would just die down there. And then finally they were able to rescue him with a rope. This, this, is, this is Jeremiah's difficult time. He wrote, he, wrote the, he wrote the book, and then the king threw it in the fire. <laughs> and so he has to go back and, and write it again. I mean, we're not talking about you using a word processor, okay? So, I mean, this is difficult times and hardship and discouragement. After, but the Lord said at the beginning, I'm going to send you there and they're not going to listen to you, but you're still going to go and you're going to do what I ask you to do. See, and I'm going to deliver you. And at the end of, his, end of his ministry, he's got all this hardship and all that stuff. Baruch, this is Jeremiah's scribe, and you know this if you read it, you know, complained about the hardship. And I think it's implied that the idea that he thought Jeremiah's ministry deserved more, more response. And the Lord says to Baruch this. He says, are you seeking great things for yourself? Don't seek them. For behold, I'm going to bring disaster on all flesh, declares the Lord, but I'll give your life to you as booty in all the places where you may go. Probably wasn't the answer that Baruch was looking for, right? I mean, Jeremiah deserves more than this. I mean, we're, we're enduring hardship here, but doing your work. And the Lord says, you know, are you imagining great things for yourself? Look, I'm going to be a disaster on all flesh. And as I've told you before, as you do ministry, you don't, you don't know what's going on in the lives of the individuals that you're in charge of. You don't know what the Lord's bringing on them, what he has planned for them, how he's chastening them perhaps, and bringing them un under instruction, correcting their behavior. He may be putting them in a position so he can prove a heavenly point. He may be perfecting them to squeeze out of them the wine of patience and, and proven character. You don't know what's going on. Here... The Lord says, listen, I'm going to destroy all flesh. This city's going to be ransacked, and there's not going to be anybody left here. 
Don't imagine great things for yourself. Just do what I said to do, see? And this is an extreme position, obviously. And I'm using it as an illustration to say, listen, even in this condition, and even Jeremiah knowing coming in what it was going to be like, Baruch still had the, uh, still had the gall, and, and perhaps with a timid voice, Lord, I mean, it seems kind of unfair. I was like, listen, I'll give you your life as booty. That's all you're going to escape with. You get to live. Everybody else is going to be, I'm going to bring chastening on this city, but you won't be killed here. So be happy with that, right? It's like the slaves, remember? The slaves come in and, and, uh, and does immediately the master say, uh, sit down and I'll serve you, right? But he says, instead, doesn't he say to the slaves, change and bring me dinner and then after that you can eat? And, and then you should say, we've only done what we should have done, right? And there's this whole imagination that, that the, Lord does, the Lord's obligated somehow to give us immediate results from what we do and that somehow, you know, if we don't get it, that, that, that's not really right. And it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's less than we deserve, see? All that needs to be cast aside. I think we get to see, see perhaps how the real kingdom is as we go through here and how Paul, of all people, who, you know, a powerful preacher, a powerful writer, you know, had to suffer much hardship in the church. And, and then he encourages himself this way. He just says, listen, we, we, have this, we have this marvelous treasure in an earthen vessel. And we're going to have all this difficult time, and the Lord's going to deliver us out of it. And it, this is how we survive, because we keep our mind on, we're bearing in our bodies the dying of Christ Jesus, so he may be manifested in us. See? It's such a marvelous thing to think about. Always caring about the body of the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in us. Those are severe terms. And words are very, very strong. And all these things he bears under is just a continuation of what they did to Jesus. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father now, see? And so those who hated Jesus just pick up where they left off on Paul. Get that? Uh, you know, um, we're carrying around uh, in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested. Listen, they, Jesus was put to the death on the cross, resurrected gloriously from the grave, uh, spent time with his disciples ascended to heaven and now they just picked up on us where they left off with Jesus that's what Paul says this is what I expect and if that doesn't happen in that severity that it happened with Paul then great we live in a place where the Lord has given us some protection from that temporarily but we shouldn't expect that we sh that we should avoid it we should expect that it's we were destined for it and we're going to pick up here next time Paul says in Galatians 6 17 he says, um, I bear in my body the brand marks of Jesus. Remember that? The brand marks of Jesus. That's what I bear in my body. The suffering, the hardship, the persecution, the tribulation, the pressing pressure, all marks of the mission. And through all of it, he points the way to how he does what he does and why he does what he does. And he just stays on course so that he could use the difficult times as a way to make Jesus visible to others. Or as he said in Romans, use the difficult times to squeeze out this oil and wine of a proven character and patience. And so when the difficult times come along, he just embraces it, he rejoices in it, as we saw in Romans 5, because difficult times warred against his self-confidence and warred against his, his uh, you know, self-appreciation and just made him dependent. And Philippians 4.12 says, I know how to get along with humble means. I've been tumbled down to the lowest possible place. And I also know how to live in prosperity. And any and every circumstance I've learned, the secret of being filled and of going hungry, both of having abundance and of suffering need, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's a great mark, isn't it? Humbled or exalted, it doesn't matter, Paul says. What's the secret? I rely on his strength. I'm a frail vessel with an infinite treasure, and the Lord will work that out in my own life. Let's bow and be dismissed in prayer. That's all the time we have. Sorry we went a little over today.
Lord, we thank you today for a blessing of being together as a body of Christ. We thank you uh, for an opportunity to serve as the actual hands and feet of Jesus today. And for those who served in, in uh, Sunday school and, and in, in currently serving a junior church, for those who are in the nursery right now and, and in toddlers, and Lord, have given themselves away today in ladies' ministry Bible study or, or the men's study or prayer group or whatever it is, Father, and this week as we do Awana and all that, I'm just so grateful to be part of a body of Christ that serves and gives themselves away. Father, thank you for the reminder of the, of the waypoints where uh, we can keep ourselves on track when we didn't get what we expected or it was a little harder than we thought it was going to be or perhaps uh, things happened that we didn't think we perhaps deserved. But then we realized that it was all mercy and that whatever we got was better than what we deserved and, and that also that we bear in our body the dying of Christ so that the life of Christ may be manifested. So whether we're squeezed or pressed or, or a little lost or whatever it is, that we know we're not consumed in any of those things, but that you're giving us an opportunity again to make clear Jesus. And you're again desiring to squeeze out of us the things that you want to see in the oil and the wine that get pressed. But we're not crushed. But what comes out then becomes these things that are pleasing to you and are useful for your kingdom. And in all those things, because some of us are in the middle of it right now, in all those things we realize that this difficult time produces an exceeding weight of glory Handling it well puts on you perhaps a crown or some kind of glory that you can reflect on Christ all of eternity. When you have a body that will never break down again and when you have, uh, you'll never be compromised in, in, your, uh, in what you say or what you think or whatever, and you'll be able to bear uh, those, that glory forever reflecting Jesus and bringing honor to him. What a magnificent thing to think about. So we can rejoice. And I pray that you'll give us peace as we go through it. Father, as we see in the letter uh, in the early reign church, working through all the personal struggles and then coming to a place where we have peace. Peace that surpasses all understanding, all difficult times, knowing that you have it all under control and it is in your plan. No matter how hard it was no, how, or how hard it used to be a long time ago or whatever, but you've placed us here as we've learned before, not only to be comforted, will, you'll comfort us with all the comfort we need and then we become comforters to other people with the comfort we receive from you. So there's just so much there in the middle of hardship that you want to use in your body. Help us to be those kinds of people doing this on a regular basis until we see you. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus, and all God's people said, amen.